Chapter sixty four of Half a Century by Jane Grace Wishelm. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Two Kinds of Appreciation. Looking down the long vista of memory to the many faces turned to me from beds of pain, I find few to which I can attach a name, and one I seem never to have looked upon but once. It is a long, sallow face surmounted by bushy yellow hair it has a clear oval outline and straight nose brown eyes and a down of young manhood on the wasted trembling lips i knew it then as the face of a fever patient but not one to whom i had rendered any special service and felt surprised when the trembling lips said in a pitiful pleading way we boys has been a-talking about you have you my dear and what have you boys been saying about me we've just been a-saying that good many ladies has been kind to us but none of em ever loved us but you well my dear i do not know how it is with the other ladies but i am sure i do love you very very dearly you do not know half how much i love you oh yes we do yes we do we know it you don't take care of us cause it's your duty you just do it cause you love to that is it exactly just because i love to and because i want you to get well and go to your mother's yes but the boys says you don't care about em when they get well they do not need to have me care for them when they are well oh yes they do yes they do and if that's the way you're going to serve me i'll stay sick a long time when the hospital stores came to me so fast that there was great trouble in getting them wisely distributed campbell lent me an ambulance to go around and see where they were needed and supply as many as i could i had a letter from an old pittsburgh neighbor asking me to see his brother in douglas hospital and went in an ambulance well supplied with jellies and fruit douglas hospital was an institution of which the city was proud it had much finer buildings than any other in the city occupied the finest residence block in the city and had a wide reputation for grandeur and beauty and superb management i found the halls and rooms quite as elegant as i had any reason to expect but was surprised to find that elegance undisturbed by the presence of sick or wounded men in one back room a wounded officer looked lonely and they said there were other rooms used for sick soldiers but all i saw were parlors reception rooms offices and sleeping apartments for surgeons and the lady abbess with her attendant sisters of mercy or charity after we had strolled through several sumptuous apartments we were taken out into the adjoining square where there were large barracks as white as lime and brushes could make them and making a pretty picture among the trees inside the walls were white as on the outside and the pictures already up as well as those just being put up were bright as bright could be indeed i do not know how pictures could have been greener or bluer or yellower or redder and when the show-off man called my attention to them as calculated to make the place cheerful i recognized their merit but suggested that some paper blinds might be desirable to keep the sun from shining into the faces of the men who lay on the cots the roof or walls did not seem well calculated to keep out wind or rain but paper blinds would ward off sunshine from the condition of the floor it was evident that the demon of the scrubbing brush which had possession of all model institutions had full sway in douglas barracks pine boards could not well have been made whiter 
no laundryman need have feared to own to the doing up of the bed linen and counterpanes and science had not discovered any mode of making a bed look more like a packing-box than those in that model hospital what an impertinence a sick or wounded man was in one of those nice square beds he was almost certain to muss and toss it and this must have been a crowning calamity after the showman had shown all he cared to have me see i sat talking with the man i had come to visit and he said in a whisper are there lice in all the hospitals lice why certainly not well there are plenty of them here and they tell us they cannot be helped that they have them in all the hospitals look here he turned down the nice counterpane and there in the blanket the disgusting creatures swarmed i was shocked and half rose in the impulse to make an outcry but he warned me not to let any one know he had told me or it would be bad for him i asked why he did not tell the surgeon he knows all about them and says they cannot be helped you have sisters of charity here tell them oh they never do anything in the ward but walk around and talk nice and pray with men who are going to die they must know about them i walked around alone and the showman did not seem to like it but i talked with the men in the cots put my hand under the cover found feet encrusted with the exudations of fever until they were hard and dry as a bit of kindling wood hair full of dust from the battlefield and not one man had been washed since being carried away from it while there were vermin in every bed the wardmaster objected to my leaving a jar of jelly with my friend it would spoil the good order of the ward and all delicacies were to be given into the care of the sisters i found one of them who was quite willing to take charge of anything i wished to leave but was powerless in the matter of vermin it was the wardmaster's business to attend to that it was the business of the sisters to look after the clothing when it came from the laundry put it in order and give it out when wanted my failure to get a bed for the man in the fort by applying to those in authority made me feel that it would be useless to try that plan about the vermin and in my perplexity i turned to my old friend and confidant the public to reach it i wrote to the new york tribune giving a very mild statement of the case two days after surgeon baxter came with a copy of that letter and told me he had been ordered to discharge me on account of it i spoke of the men who must die if i left and he was sorry but had no option then he bethought him that maybe i might get the surgeon-general to permit me to remain at least until the cases of my special patients were settled otherwise i must leave the hospital that day he was sorry i had dated the letter from campbell had it not been for this he could use his influence to sustain me but professional etiquette forbade him to harbour or countenance one who spoke unfavourably of a brother surgeon in other words by living in a hospital i became one of a ring bound to keep hospital secrets and use only words of commendation in speaking or writing of anything i saw i took a street-car and proceeded to the office of the surgeon-general saw the man who held the lives of my patients in his hands ate the only piece of humble pie that ever crossed my lips by apologizing for telling the truth and got permission to go back to the men who looked to me for life i have felt that i made a great mistake felt that if i had then and there made war to the knife and the knife to the hilt against the whole system of fraud and cruelty embodied in the hospital service 
I should have saved many more lives in the end. Even while I talked to the head of that nest of corruption and listened to his inane platitudes about my duty as an inmate of a hospital to report abuses to him, and the regular way of proceeding, I did want to hurl the gauntlet of an irregular defiance into this plausible face, but the pleading eyes in Campbell held me. I could not let those men die, and die they must if I must leave them. Nobody denied the truth of my statements about Douglas Hospital, and I never learned that any one objected to the facts or their continuance. It was only their exposure which gave offence. This letter made me an object of dread. Folks never knew what I might see or say next, and there soon rose another trouble about my living in Campbell, for Miss Dix objected, claimed that it was an infringement on her authority. Then again there were others who could not see why there should be but one female nurse in Campbell. Dr. Baxter, by admitting me, had abandoned his ground, acknowledged that men alone could not manage a first-class hospital, and having discovered his mistake was bound to rectify it by admitting a corps of lady nurses. He was bombarded by Miss Dix's official power, pestered by the persistent appeals of volunteers, sneered and scoffed at and worried until he fell back on his old position and promptly dismissed me so soon as my patients were out of danger. He was always courteous to me as a visitor, and has my lasting gratitude and respect for breaking his rules and bearing the persecution he did, that I might do the work I did, and could not have done without his effective and generous cooperation. The proportion of thigh stumps saved was the test of a hospital's success, and the summer I was in Campbell we saved nineteen out of twenty. Next summer, Chaplain Gaylord told me they lost nineteen and twenty, and added, Paemia has literally swept our wards. End of chapter 64